0: Welcome to the Sales Tips for Pros podcast, brought to you by the Canadian Professional Sales Association. In this CPSA podcast, we'll consider the concept and execution of proactive prospecting. Our guest this time is Toronto based sales expert and trainer, Tibor Shanto. Tibor is a prospecting and sales execution specialist in B2B companies that deliver professional development for professional salespeople. He aims to help sales professionals better execute their sales processes with a focus on new client and revenue acquisition. Tibor has worked with hundreds of companies and thousands of reps, helping them understand that success in sales is all about execution. Everything else, he says, is just talk. In today's economy, businesses and sales pros cannot afford to wait for customers to beat the path to their door. Companies must go on the offensive and take a proactive approach to finding new customers and new sources of revenue. Proactive prospecting can, says Tibor, help your teams to leverage all prospecting resources available to them, including contact strategies, social media, campaign design, telephone techniques, email and other tools. From getting the opportunity to speak with decision makers, to understanding the dynamics of initial contact, anticipating and managing objections.
1: For sales professionals, team leaders, and organizations across the country, the Canadian Professional Sales Association is your partner in building knowledge and skills to improve sales performance. The CPSA is the advocate for excellence in sales. We invest resources in programming, curriculum development, and professional designations to help individuals and companies become more successful through effective sales. We connect employers and employees, business with academia, and the private sector with government to advance the sales profession and improve Canadian competitiveness. Learn more at cpsa.com and remember to subscribe to the cpsa podcast through itunes google play and more
0: tibor welcome to the show a pleasure to be here bill thank you so let's begin by asking you if you don't mind to define some of the the aspects of proactive prospecting and what it takes to achieve that
1: So it takes a lot. I think it does take some practice. I'm not sure I'd go as far as Malcolm um, Gladwell said in terms of 10,000 hours. Um, So what I mean by proactive prospecting is clearly um, over the last 10 years, and I would say much more so in the last five years, there are infinitely more options that people have in terms of how they reach out and connect with people. But what hasn't changed in many ways is what the narrative or the messaging is and also what some of the dynamics that are involved in the call context, if you like it and so on. So what I tend to focus on is regardless of the tool or the mode of communication that you choose, whether it's social media, which again, I look at as being passive, that's not negative, it makes sense. Um, Or at the other extreme is cold calling, which I do on a regular basis. And my definition of cold calling is calling somebody who does not have you on their calendar and therefore you're interrupting them. And that could include people you met in a networking meeting last night who politely said to you, call me, but if you didn't schedule the time, and when you're calling them is likely to be an interruption and we have to deal with that dynamic. You know, salespeople are sometimes very good at talking the quote unquote value proposition but we have to remember that we interrupted somebody in the middle of their day whether it's an email or a phone call or what have you and that interruption sets a series of events into motion think about your own day or any of the people listening to the podcast think about your day or in the middle of something you're trying to get something done and in comes this unexpected phone call. It may ultimately be a phone call that changes your business for the better, but at the moment that it comes in, it's an interruption taking you away from the million things you have to get done before you go home to shower and shave and start it all. That your company will help you with the narrative. What we look at is how do you package that narrative so it gets through and actually gets consumed by the audience that you wanted to hear it, and begin that conversation that leads to an opportunity
0: let's break down some of the parts under that umbrella concept of proactive prospecting and discuss where each fits in and ultimately um point of this is to get that meeting right and then to push through so uh firstly on that why is it important to develop strategies for penetrating accounts
1: well because i think you know for Um, It's a lot more difficult, quote unquote, to get in, as it were, you know, the Internet has been a boon, but the Internet has also brought things with it. Um, The reality of the times that we live in, uh, those old enough to remember, you know, things changed after 9-11. Security became different. You know, I work with a lot of people in the transportation industry locally you know, they used to be able to walk up to the dock with, you know, some tims and some Timbits and start a conversation. That's not a reality anymore in most businesses. So you do have to figure out A, who the players on the other side are, because in most instances, you are going to be dealing with multiple buyers, even though you may only see one face, but most of the time you get to see multiple faces of multiple buyers. And so, you know, and each one of those is going to look at your offering in a slightly different light based on their role based on their level of responsibility and a host of other factors and if you're not looking at those and taking them into account as you're developing your pursuit plan then you know you're shooting in the dark and while it's true that every you know even a blind squirrel walks into a nut sometime i don't think that's how we make quota
0: that's not to uh, offend of course any of our blind squirrel listeners out there Um, okay or you know even
1: sighted squirrels you know (laughs) <laughs> Except the ones that broke into my attic over the summer, they 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 should go there. Oh boy, they're, they're the worst,
0: worst rules out there. Uh, okay, uh, now now tell us why it, it is blatantly important. Um, it's pretty obvious, I guess, but why is it important? Let's just ram this one home to maximize prospecting time to get the best results from sales efforts. And um, and also, it, if you could maybe offer a little bit of advice about what are some of the best times to prospect.
1: Okay, so. I think, you know, we're all familiar with the old saying, or, or those of us of a certain age that nothing happens till there's a sale. So I take that a little bit further and say, how are you going to get a sale without a prospect? So I think that if you don't put the proper time in to prepare the soil, plant it, put some manure on it, and then, you know, tend, you know work it as it grows, then nothing is going to grow. So, I mean, in, in a simple sense, as you say, it's quite obvious, but I think, you bring up an interesting point because one of the biggest things I find is people don't allocate enough time to prospecting because we've trained them as an industry to think about the close, the end of the process, when they get their reward, right? You know, And I think that if managers just added a couple of more words to their vocabulary as they're speaking with their reps, and instead of just asking them what they're going to close because reps are like kids, they'll tell dad what he wants to hear, right? ask them what they've opened and that will give them the signal that you want them to put as much importance on the opening as you do on the closing of opportunities, because you're going to need proportionally more opens than closes. And so one of the things that we do with our clients a lot is really put a great emphasis on time allocation. And then we hold them accountable to the time that they allocated for activities and for the activities that they do within the allocated time.
0: Okay. uh, Now I'd, I'd like to, uh, well, before we, we talk specifically about how how uh, frontline folk can uh, think about selling to the C-suite and, and executives, I, I'd like okay. to get a better idea from you, if, if you don't mind, of of what it is to, to take a proactive role in expanding one's opportunity base in, in general terms. What does that look like? And then we'll talk specifically about selling to the C-suite.
1: You know, I know that people don't like the, the term hunter, but I think it does take an opportunistic instinct. I think if you're going to be a good prospector, you have to explore all obvious channels, but then also see what different things are available to you. And sometimes you just have to step back and see the the amount of things that are out there to help you prospect that you're not taking advantage of. I'll give you a simple example that even my peers in the business go, wow, when I tell it to them, and I think it's as simple as the the nose on my face. I have a resume on every single job board um, available, including LinkedIn. Not because I'm looking for a job, but when you put your resume on a job board, they give you the right to put up a filter to see which job postings come in that look like your resume. So I do it because that filter, every, every time somebody in Toronto puts an ad in Workopolis, uh, for a salesperson, I get an email and they get a phone call. And the question is, what are you gonna do to make sure this person ramps up the way you want them to? And I get gigs that way. So it's a simple proactive approach that really takes, you know, I put that resume up there like 14 years ago and it's been paying dividends since. So that's a little thing. It's going the extra mile. It's accepting the fact that you can actually, and this may segue into your next topic, you can pick up the phone outside of nine and five. You know, you can pick up the phone at 7.30. I'm here in my office at 7.30 in the morning, probably the clearest point of mind in the day. So if you had a good idea, it would probably be the best time to put it in my brain but nobody calls me till nine o'clock because that's when they finish their Starbucks, you know, and nobody calls me after five, so I get stuff done. So it's little things like that. I know they sound cliche. It's actually looking in the newspaper the morning that you're going or online, whatever the case is. I use an app called Charlie and it looks at my appointments in Google and then gives me the latest information about that account from different sources an hour before the meeting. Taking a look at that can make you that much more effective. But if if you put your targets in there as well, then I could get information about prospects that is sourced from various interesting sources. And if I incorporate that in my narrative, I sound different. All these things are little steps that I could set up once and then they roll. That's what I mean by proactive. And then the other is what you actually do in the call. You know, when, you know, how quickly do you give up or you know, how persistent are you in trying to communicate the value that you can bring to that prospect? So these are all little things, you know, there isn't one big thing, people are always looking for that big thing. Well, you know, it doesn't exist outside the movies, but the little things do.
0: Okay, incremental changes have uh, big rewards. And uh, thank you for that tip there about Charlie. I'll, I'll, I'll check that out. Uh, now, your your approach, your approach teaches that there are benefits within. Uh, within expanding op- one's opportunity base to, to sell to C level, uh, to, to sell to C suite mm-hmm. and to ex- executives it is the, the, and this quite nicely links actually with a fairly recent interview that I did with um, sales expert Lee Bartlett, where we were talking about um, climbing up the ladder of different levels of networks from uh, very junior all the way up to what he called the Jedi's people like Richard Branson. Um, it is are your recommendations that more junior frontline folk can and absolutely should start selling to C-suite and executives uh, sooner rather than later? Or would you say, you know, steady on uh, that this needs to be done after a certain amount of training, education and experience?
1: No, I don't. I think with proper guidance and and training and by guidance, I mean, you know, internal support and so on i don't think they need to wait but i do want to go back i mean i think you know for a long time and for a while i was in that genre as well you know we talked a lot about hitting the c-suite and i think it's still important because ultimately that is where the strategy and the related budgets come from um so i'm I'm not saying that it's a 180 degree turn but i think i'm seeing you know the c-suite become a little bit different in the way that they make decisions so as an example It's less and less common for me to see C-suite overturn the decision of a working group because they've come to realize that while they may not have chosen that product they're not the ones who are going to use it every day so if their team can create a consensus around the product there's a greater likelihood that they're going to use it and as a result um, you know they're going to get a better ROI so I think Salespeople are in a position to tell that story, especially if they sense that the C-suite may be going in a different direction. But I don't think that it's like start with the C-suite and exhaust it and go nowhere else. It's like start at the front door, back door, side window and any crevice that you can use to get into the building.
0: Okay, so what I'm hearing is don't don't fear uh, approaching the C-suite, but um, <laughs> don't, don't go there first and uh, ex- exhaust that avenue,
1: which no. could perhaps... I think for something, I think for some things, you might want to go there first because there's some, you know, based on their hierarchy, based on where they are in the hierarchy, their focus may not take them to certain things that your product could do. So, you know, Skip Miller did this interesting exercise where he looks at how different levels within the organization, you know, look at the same issue, and he does a really interesting thing. It's worth checking out. So there are going to be elements and aspects of your product that is only going to resonate with the C-suite. Now, there are going to be elements that will resonate with the front line. I think the more resonance you can get, the greater likelihood that you're going to get the deal. So, you know, if you – I'm working with a company now where their product probably only makes sense to the C-suite. In fact, at the, at the board level, because it deals with certain level of compliance that has a lot of liability should things go wrong the guy in middle management could care less because it's never going to impact him or her. But at the C-level and at the director level, they're like on it because it's their toughest on the line, right? So I'm not, you know, I think the appropriate message to the appropriate audience at the right time vis-a-vis your strategy, and that takes us back to your previous question. If you have a strategy, you'll know when and where they need to be brought into the process. And you'll know when and where you want them out of the process too.
0: Okay, a rapid fire question for you, Tibor. So uh, I'm looking for a maximum of three sentences as your answer here. In terms of client- Not my style. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm just trying to mix it up a little bit. Uh, We'll we'll see how we get on. Go ahead. Um, uh, In in terms of client relationship efforts, uh, why is it important Mm. for prospects to change from thinking of uh, sales reps as a vendor to a value-added partner?
1: Because most business organizations are forward-looking, and they're trying to find ideas that they can use to either get ahead of the competition or achieve their objectives, whatever those might be. And I think that that's why it's important. Um, Because if you can align to their objectives, things just go a lot smoother
0: okay perfect thank you very much um let's go back to a bit of a longer form discussion now so so your program supports team members committing to the value of building their base opportunities well, what do you mean by commit committing and how do sales leaders get meaningful buy-in from from all of the the team members
1: so what i mean by committing is sort of on a number of levels so i'm i'm big on metrics and not sort of in a punitive way or whatever but if you're a professional if you look at your favorite athlete they probably know what their batting average is or plus minus averages and so on because it allows them to then say okay today i'm at this you know batting average what do i have to physically do and what do i have to practice to improve that to a target that i set for myself so by using metrics um you know again you have an advantage of being able to um I'm trying to remember the beginning of the question, but I start with the metrics as a means of understanding the prospecting. The problem becomes is both managers and frontline guys always find something that they feel is a little bit more important to do than prospecting. And I've seen this over and over again where somebody will have committed to, say, an hour of prospecting on a Tuesday afternoon, and all of a sudden... A fairly mundane client call comes in but they're happy because now they could spend 15 20 minutes talking to a client and they don't have to prospect and they can actually rationalize it to their manager that hey look I was doing good work here because I was you know working with a client or saving an account or whatever the case is and probably most of the work was done by somebody else within the company but the that effect this 20 minutes of prospecting didn't take place and that means that there's that much less opportunities in the pipeline and I would argue less revenue at the end. And in terms of the managers, I think that they need to enforce reps knowing their their metrics because that becomes part of the accountability in their coaching and mentoring. Let the, let the rep set the goal of where they wanna go. But I find too many managers for selfish reasons will let the rep not prospect because, and this might be a bigger discussion, They feel that a bird in the hand is worth much more than this unknown entity of a lead or a prospect. And I just think that, you know, once you sell the guy in your pipeline, if you have a prospect, there's nothing else there. But for whatever reason, managers let salespeople get away with that. And I find that organizations that use metrics, use metrics as an improvement plan, and then the manager holds the rep accountable, tend to prospect better and have better pipelines
0: okay we are coming towards the end of this interview so a uh, last couple of questions for you and and uh, this one's pretty natural i think all, all of this effort effort people is about getting that first appointment right and mm-hmm. I, I i'd like to get an idea from you uh, in terms of numbers and uh, how many touches how many points of engagement can that take does it typically take and and what are the what are the types so you've spoken quite a bit today on on this interview for example about the the power of um, uh, having a phone call Um, but what about in mails email uh, meeting at an event so you and I've done a previous interview about networking um, social media interaction and uh, as well as phone calls
1: All, all of those so I talk about you know having an expanding toolkit and making sure that we cover all modes of communication because I think, as salespeople, we sometimes tend to view the world through our own filters too much. You know I may like the phone, but the prospect that i 'm you know pursuing may like the email, so it's incumbent on me to switch my habits to meet theirs because there's nothing that's going to compel them to change their habits to meet mine. so to your point, I think any instrument that's available to you, including smoke signals and other things um, i've seen people get fairly creative in terms of putting together some sort of package or other things. I've done different things where, again, maybe in a large card, I've sent in handwritten reading cards. So I think to your point, all of those, not working in-mail, is that I saw earlier in the year, there was somebody in from Sales Loft. They were at the sales TO meeting and they were sharing some stats that they had. And what they showed is that the best results come when you use a combination of email, phone, and in-mail. If you remove any one of those, and most people are likely to remove the phone, the averages drop dramatically and measurably. Um, so I think that all of those, all of those, um, all of those come into play. The other thing that they showed that was interesting, and again I don't have the data behind it. I just saw the their, their findings is that it's not only now taking more touch points so the conventional wisdom i think last year was about you know 15 to 18 touch points over the course of about 3 business weeks whereas they were showing that it could in fact be closer to 30 touch points over a much longer period of time which sort of makes sense because if you think about it your targets have to deal with that much more in their day to day so it's going to take them that much more to get around to you but i would really recommend that as people figure out their pursuit plan or what is commonly called their cadence plan that they should look at what their comfort zone is and then double it and start with that
0: okay and i'm just gonna throw in a cheeky mention there for um uh an organization that you brought up in that last answer and that's uh sales to which the cpsa were a sponsor at at the november 2018 sales to Um, And that's a great relationship and they do lots of awesome work in downtown Toronto. Anyway, enough of that plug. Um, uh, Just finally for today plugs are good right plugs are good um as long, long as you scatter them through uh, just just finally for today before i ask you how uh, our listeners can learn more about you of course people um just just a couple of tips a, a, a couple of best practices if you like um to see the fruit from all of this hard work in terms of um that vital follow-up uh is that a is that a, a thing someone should jump on straight away after a meeting? What are the best ways to communicate uh, the the things discussed in that meeting that they worked so hard to, to get to get? Am I asking the wrong question here because the meeting is so vital and they should come out of there knowing that the, the next step is to send a contract. who knows just give us a few tips there
1: no I think so I think first of all. Your point is correct whether the next step has been agreed on so first of all you shouldn't leave a meeting with it without a next step But that's again an entirely different call But even if you achieve that, let's say the meeting went swimmingly it exceeded every exhortation you went in there with You should still send a thank-you note It'll differentiate you from all the other people and at the end of the day It's a human endeavor and saying thank you is a very human thing so it'll help in, in that sense so I think sending that email immediately even if you just got an appointment and let's say it was off a cold call and you're sending an invite thank them for taking the meeting like you know again they're giving you something that you desire to begin with so thank them for it and again i see so few people i'm shocked at the surprised faces when i tell people that to send a thank you note after your first meeting so i got to believe most people are not doing it so if you do that already you look better
0: Wonderful. Well, uh last question for you then. Uh how can sure. how, how can our listeners learn more about all the awesome work that you, that you do, sir, and how can they connect with you?
1: Well, the easiest is, you know, they go to myname.com So Tibor Shanto, T I B O R S H A N T O dot com. Um if they can't wait, they can pick up the phone and dial plus one four one six eight two two seven seven eight one. Um, at my website again there is a uh, tab for a blog. I'm told it's pretty good. It's got a pretty good following. I post once a week usually on Tuesdays and they can find a lot of my stuff on your site. right?
0: They absolutely can find uh, a lot of your stuff on our site. And uh, listeners, I, I can certainly tell you that uh, uh, Tibor's blog is awesome. One of them scared me a little bit uh, that I was reading the other day about uh, getting rid of half of your workforce. Um, I think they, they should. <laughs> but I think that's I an think interview for another time. People, <laughs> we'll, time, uh, yeah, We'll maybe spend uh, 20 minutes and chat about that in, in the very near future. Um, but cool the people then. will listen, right? <laughs> exactly uh, but uh, for today Tibo Shanto thank you very much for being a guest on this
1: CPSA podcast thank you always fun Bill
0: thank you for listening to the sales tips for Pro show learn more about the training and benefits
1: from the Canadian Professional Sales Association at cpsa.com